It always helps, by the way, when you turn your microphone on. I don't know why it uh, requires that. So I want to welcome those of you here in Plymouth. Welcome to those of you who are in Brighton. We're all experiencing this together in this moment. And it's always an exciting thing to be this one church that meets in multiple locations. And we're in this series called Unlikely Heroes. And I have to tell you, I'm falling in love with this concept because the more I dig into God's truth and God's word, the more I understand that every hero who's ever become that in God's kingdom, in, in the journey of life for God, is unlikely. I mean, they're unlikely heroes. And that's the only kind of hero God used because God's heroes are not perfect. Far from it. They're, they're all flawed. In fact, other than Jesus himself, every spiritual hero you find was a failure, significant failure, most of them. You want some exciting reading? Read about Moses, David, Peter, and Paul. I mean, they were crazy flawed and crazy failures. So it's odd to me that all of us, me included, often try to hide and forget and diminish or deny our flaws and our failures as if that's going to accomplish anything. It's not. The only thing that happens when we hide or deny our failures is that those failures go deeper within and remain a destructive force in our lives and we know that we're just living a lie. It accomplishes nothing. The reality is that our flaws and our failures are going to own us. They're going to hold us back. They're going to mess us up until we own up to them. Until we allow God to enable us to overcome and walk away from them. The reality is that God can use us. The reality is that God wants to use each and every one of us. But it takes owning up to the truth that without God, we're all failures. Because we're all sinners. All of us. Not groups of us. All of us. And Rahab is the perfect story in the context of this series, Unlikely Heroes. Because she was one. You can read about her in Joshua 2 and 6, and she's mentioned elsewhere. But when we first meet Rahab, she's a prostitute living in a culture without God and without hope. But in the end, she becomes an entirely different woman. She becomes one who not only knows God and stands for God and lives for God and makes an impact for God, but she's, she's used by God to save the entire world because she's a part of what brings Jesus ultimately into this world. And so I want to give you this truth from Rahab's life. Genuine faith in God is so misunderstood by so many people. Genuine faith in God, first of all, is available to everyone. It's available to anyone. It doesn't matter who they are, what they've done, where they're from, what people have said about them. I mean, God's available to anyone. I mean, Rahab, a prostitute. Rahab, discounted by most people, Rahab in a culture that was absolutely godless, and yet Rahab becomes a hero of the faith, an unlikely hero, but not really unlikely because it's the unlikelies that God uses. Genuine faith is available to anyone. No one can be shut away from God, from faith in God. No one. Not me, not you. But genuine faith changes everything. And this is what a lot of people don't understand. Genuine faith is available to anyone, but, 
But when people experience genuine faith, a true intimate relationship, an encounter with God, it changes everything. It doesn't leave us the same. And yet so many people who claim to be the anyone who has faith don't change. Rahab was a prostitute, became a hero in the plans and purposes of God. And the change occurred because she had genuine faith. Look at how the Bible says it in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, they become a little bit different. Does that... Isn't that how we live out Christianity? I mean, you know, I know Jesus, and so there's a little bit about me that's changed. Basically, once in a while, I go to church. Everything else is the same. That's not what Christianity is. When we put our faith in God, have a genuine encounter with God, it's transformative. It changes everything. If anyone is in Christ, they become a new creation, wholly new. And so many of our arguments is, you know, I'm just living out how I was born in this world. I'm just living out, you know, the life that that I was given through birth. The truth is, when you encounter God, you don't live out the life you were born into. You live out the new creation he transforms you into. The old is gone, the new has come, the verse says. The old is gone, the new has come. And we need to stop defending our behavioral patterns based upon who we were, because when we come to Jesus, we're no longer who we were, we're who he's made us to be, a new creation. The old gone, the new come. And Rahab's a perfect example of this. Uh, people who've ever met me, I'm, I've been a pastor now for three decades and all that, but I was kicked out of school four times. I was a mess. I, uh, I had 15 sets of parents that adopted me out. And Okay, that's a lie. But, you know, I mean, I really was a mess. And when people find out that I've been a pastor, that I'm a Christian at all, because I hated the whole God thing and religion thing, I mean, they go, oh, my gosh, that's surprising. But I want you to know, That anyone knows God is surprising. That anyone can be used of God is surprising. We're all unlikely. But when we truly encounter God through faith, like with Rahab, as I can certainly give story to, it changes everything. You see, Rahab had lived as a prostitute, but her faith in God resulted in her becoming a hero of the faith, an example of what it means to have faith. And she actually became a part of the lineage of Christ. You, you might not know this, but she was one of only two women listed by name in God's hero of faith chapter, Hebrews 11 in the Bible. Look at Hebrews 11:31. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she was was welcomed, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. I mean, she literally became a hero of the faith. She's mentioned in the Hall of Faith chapter. Why? Because her faith changed everything. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. God says, this is the record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. This is the family history of Jesus. And jump to verse 5. Salmon was the father of Boaz, who, whose mother was who? Rahab. Thank you for participating. I bet you in Brighton, everyone said it. Here in Plymouth, three people in Rahab. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, another great woman character in the Bible. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Rahab was a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. Her faith 
changed everything. She became an unlikely hero. And I, I, because I know how unlikely it is for me to know God intimately, to, to experience him working not just in me but through me. And because I know the same is true for all of us, I believe that we can learn so much from Rahab. And we should. You, you need to know our whole relationship with God is ultimately defined by faith. But when we truly have that faith, it changes everything. And, and so we could learn a lot from her. So let's do that. When I, when I look at Rahab, I, I discover that genuine faith really helps us to overcome our past. And this is a big deal because all of us have one of those, right? A lot of times we're trying to hide them and create different images and perceptions of ourselves, denying who we've been and all that. But genuine faith doesn't just help us to learn to cope with our past, to accept our past and, and like ourselves in spite of our past. Genuine faith literally helps us to overcome the past. Look at how the New Testament says it, and Rahab certainly fits here. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. God says, kill, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, that which you were before you put faith in God and he transformed you. I mean, put it to death. You know, the stuff that all of us have been messed up with, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. You, speaking of all of us, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now, now that you've encountered God, you've been transformed by genuine faith, you must rid yourselves of all such things. We don't have to learn to cope with, accept ourselves in spite of our, our natures and how we've been and what we've done. We can overcome our past. That's what faith does. Too many of us allow our sinful natures, our, our past blemishes, our flaws to define us, to, to actually determine who we are today and what we do today. We allow our, our sinful natures and our, our failures to determine who we're going to be tomorrow and to determine the choices we're going to make for our entire future. But there's no reason for this because genuine faith can literally free us from our past. Free us to become all God created us to be today and free us to fulfill our God-given potential tomorrow. I mean, genuine faith overcomes our past. Stop trying to cope with and learn to live with and deal with who you were and start becoming the person you are in Jesus. It's a whole different ballgame. That's what Rahab did. Rahab teaches me, at least, and it's so helpful to me, I hope it'll be helpful to you, that genuine faith transforms our character. It transforms our character. Colossians goes on and describes what I think is a great picture of Rahab, verses 9 and 10. Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Do not lie to each other. Don't lie to each other. That's obviously messed up character, messed up integrity. Don't lie to each other anymore if you have genuine faith because you have taken off your old self. Remember, the old is gone. You've been newly created with all of its practices. And you've put on the new self, the new creation God's given you, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. He's saying, I have remade you in the original intention of my creation in my image. I've made you new in Christ. So stop arguing I was born this way and start living the new life I've given you is what he's saying. And he's saying it to all of us because all of us have messed up natures and have messed up choices and messed up character. 
And I, I, okay, I'm going to be really, really honest. I try to be honest when I'm teaching. And, you know, I mean, I, I try not to create images for you that make me look better to you than I really am. So I'm just going to come right out and say it. I, Brad Powell, was born a liar. No kidding. I mean, from the very earliest memories I have when I was confronted with an opportunity to tell the truth by my parents, I lied with giftedness and great capacity. Born a liar. Now, I, I always like to, you know, know the people that I'm in community with and I'm teaching, and, and this is true for those of you in Brighton as well. I just, I, I wanna make sure that you participate in this, so I'm going to ask you to help identify. I've admitted I was born a gifted liar. I wanna know, how many of you were born liars? Raise your hand. All right, in Brighton, raise your hand. Keep them up, keep them up. Now, look around. Anyone with their hand down was born a liar. <laughs> the ones with hands up, cured. <laughs> the ones with hands down, bad news. All right, now here's the thing. Faith transforms our character. It does. Yes, I was born a liar, but you know what? I don't have to keep acting out a life of lying, a life of deception. Yes, you were born with a nature that compels you in ways opposite of that which God designed for you, but, but faith transforms your character so you no longer have to be living those choices which take you further and further away from God. You see, faith allows us to become something totally different from what we are by nature. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Jesus talks about it this way. He says, a bad tree produces bad fruit. That's what a bad tree produces, bad fruit. The only thing you're ever going to get from a bad tree is bad fruit. But you know what religion teaches us? That we can change the fruit. And so we come in with our badness and we go, oh, I just have to grow different fruit. And you know what? It's bad fruit. Because that's what bad trees do. But Jesus says, you don't have to keep working on the fruit. All you have to do is trust me and I'll change the tree. And a good tree produces good fruit. And a lot of people, we're justifying our lives by saying, I was born this way. Yes, you were. But Jesus can make you new. Isn't that awesome? It is for me because I was born messed up. And my wife says, I'm still messed up. But I keep trying to convince her. Not on the inside. A new fruit will grow someday, honey. We're married for about 150 years, that kind of deal. But really, it's about God changing who we are. Not making the bad tree produce different fruit, but making us into a new tree. And here's the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus can change the quality of our character, the quality of the tree, which allows us then to live out God's original intention for us. Faith changes everything. Do you realize when I look at Rahab, I realize that genuine faith, it changes our view. It changes how we see our view. It changes our view of, of the world. It changes our view of God. You know, before I experienced genuine faith, a relationship with God that was a transformative encounter, I, I, I had a very different view of the world. This was all I had, and this is what I had to live for, and, and God was irrelevant to me. In fact, I didn't even buy into the whole God thing. Religion had destroyed my picture of God, and so I didn't even buy into him. And if I did buy into him, I would have hated him. But when I had a genuine 
encounter with him through faith, my view changed. This world isn't all there is, and God is all there is. He's not the problem. We're the problem. and changed my whole view. Do you know when you have genuine faith, just like it did in Rahab's life, it changes your view of, of truth. Before knowing God, she believed in all the false gods of her culture. She believed in, in all that they stood for, the philosophies and the values and morals of her culture. But then she realized that the one true God of heaven was the true God. And, and it changed her view of truth. It changed her view of values and philosophy and morals and life and choices. Do you realize genuine faith changes our view of ourselves? When I was born, I, I, the reason I was a born liar is because I was born thinking I was the most per, per, important person in the world, and so I would do anything to protect my world, but, but God changed my view of self, or is at least helping to change it. It changed my view of others. I used to think that others were simply pawns on the chessboard of my life, but I've realized that, that God's the king and the rest of us are in this world because of him, and it's changed my view of what's possible. Rahab, her faith changed her view of what was possible. A prostitute couldn't become a hero in God's plans, but, but she realized ultimately that's what's possible with God. Look at Joshua chapter 2, verses 9-11, how her, her faith changed her view. I know that the Lord has given this land to you, to, to the people of God, to Israel, for the Lord your God... Not the gods we worship, not the gods I've been taught about, not the values and views I've had, but the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. When she came to faith, it changed her view. And the reason is 1 Corinthians 2.14. The New Testament tells us about this. The man without God in his life, the, the, the human without the spirit, does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, God's truth, God's ways. In fact, God's ways are foolishness. God values are foolishness to them because they don't have God in them. They can't understand them because, you see, God's truth, God's ways are spiritually discerned. But when you genuinely have a faith encounter with God, it transforms your view because now you see the world through his eyes. You see truth through his eyes. You see yourself through his eyes. You see values through his eyes. Genuine faith changes our view. You know what's sad? So many people declare that they have faith in God and their view doesn't change. They're still selfish. Their values don't change. And it just shows they haven't experienced what Rahab experienced. When I look at Rahab, I realize that genuine faith isn't something we just talk about and sing about and once in a while practice, but genuine faith, when we really have faith in God and it's defining our life, it holds nothing back. Genuine faith holds nothing back. Genuine faith gives everything to God. Look at how it happened in Rahab's life. And this is why she became a hero, because she literally put it all on God. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman, Rahab, had taken the two men and had hidden them and wouldn't give them back. And you go, well, I, I don't get it. Well, let me help you to get it. 
Moses had been told that God was going to give them the promised land, and after 40 years of wandering and all that different stuff, they were ready to go in. And so then Joshua, because Moses is taken away, you know, sends the spies in. And this woman hides them. Her king says, we know they came to you. You need to give them to us. Now put it into context. Who was the king in Jericho? Who was the king in her world? He was the law. He was the executive branch, he was the judicial branch, and he was the Congress. He was the law. He was the one who set the view for the culture, the morality for the culture, held accountable to the culture. He was the the whole thing. And he said, look it, here's the law. Give us those two spies. And you know what she did? She said, no. She wouldn't give them the spies. Why? Because she believed that God was bigger than her king, and she believed in God's values, not her world's values, and she said, I'm going to follow God and not man. She gave it all. I mean, she said, genuine faith holds nothing back. Gives everything to God. Now, most people hedge their bets. Most people hold stuff back. Rahab put everything on him, and it's why she became a hero of the faith. And I have to ask us the question, how about us? I mean, has our faith led us to give everything to God? For example, have you surrendered all your dreams to God? Really? You've you've surrendered your dreams to God? Have you surrendered your need for economic security to God? Have you surrendered your vocational aspirations to God? Have you surrendered what you think are your relational and needs to God? Have you surrendered your morals to God, your values to God? Have you, have you surrendered your political views to God? Really? You, you know what I find in myself more often than not, and what I certainly see in Christianity more often than not? We, we don't do what Rahab did. You know what we do? We actually ask God to surrender himself to our dreams. We ask God to surrender himself to our views. We ask God to make this world what we want it to be. We don't give our lives to him. Which means we're making our own faith up. But we're not experiencing faith in him. Which changes everything. Look at Romans chapter 12 verse 1. Therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy... In view of the unbelievable transformative grace he's willing to give us. Offer your bodies as living sacrifice. I mean, give yourselves fully and surrender yourselves fully to him. Be holy and pleasing to God. Do what he asks you to do. Because this is true spiritual worship. This is what Rahab did, which is why she became an unlikely hero. And it's the only way we will ultimately experience him. Genuine faith changes everything. When I look at Rahab, I realize, whoa, I have a a lot of growing to do because genuine faith stands alone. Genuine faith stands alone. Rahab had to stand alone. Think about it. She stood alone. She stood against the expectations, the values, and the desires of her world. She, She didn't follow the crowd. She didn't float in the current of her culture and keep 
following it. She didn't allow the unbelief of others and the rejection of God and his truth by all those around her to keep her from trusting God and living his truth. She stood alone. And as a result, think about it, she saved herself, she saved her family, and she ultimately led to the salvation of all who would ever believe because she had genuine faith, she stood alone. No one stood with her. The same was true of Paul the Apostle. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, he says that my first defense, and what he was defending was his faith in Jesus, his message about Jesus. And at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me, everyone. But I love this. The Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. When you read Paul's letters, the one thing that's real is that he had a very intimate, personal, and real relationship with God. It wasn't make-believe. It was the real deal. He experienced God. You know what I long for in my life? I long to experience God. I mean, really experience him. Not just talk about him, but experience him. You know what I found among most people? Most of us, even those of us who don't even believe in God, if he was real, we'd want to experience him. Do you know why most people don't experience him? Why there are very few heroes like Rahab, the unlikely ones? It's because very few people like Rahab or Paul are willing to stand alone. Do you know when God shows up and allows us to experience him in profound ways when we need him most? And you know when we need him most when we're standing all alone. But you know what most of us choose to do? Most of us choose to stand with the crowd, to be in the current of the majority. And so why would we ever experience God? We're not standing alone. And by the way, what does that say about our faith that we're not willing to stand alone? So the question I ask myself and I ask you is, how about us in our world? Will will we trust God and stand on his truth even if we have to stand alone? Are we willing to swim against the current of our present culture in order to remain faithful to God like Rahab? That's my desire for me. I want to be like Rahab. I want to be one who knows God and is used of God, who experiences God. But in order to do that, my faith needs to be so strong I'm willing to stand alone. That's my desire for you. That's my desire for Northridge Church. And I'm going to tell you, in our day and age, if we're going to truly have faith in God, stand on Him and follow His truth, we're going to have to swim against the current of the culture. We're going to have to stand alone. Are you at work, in your community, with your family, or are you kind of going along to get along? Rahab teaches me that genuine faith, I mean, not talked about faith and sung about faith and religious faith and the kind of faith we're born with. I'm talking about genuine faith that allows us to experience the transformative power of God in our lives. Genuine faith is something that has to be shared. Do you know the only kind of faith that we can keep private is the kind of faith that hasn't changed us? You know, you can't keep a faith that changes you quiet because people see the changes. And so if we can keep our faith quiet at work and with the family and in the community, if we can keep our belief systems quiet, it means that those belief systems aren't forming the basis for our life. It means that God isn't being seen in the way we live. 
Rahab, her whole life changed. Look at Joshua 2.12. She says, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. She wasn't just saying, you know, help me, but she was saying, look at this faith I now have in God. I want it to impact my family too. I, I want you to help my family, and it ultimately impacted everyone that knows about Rahab, and the same should be true of us. Genuine faith isn't a private thing. It's a public thing. It's shared. Look at First Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, set apart Jesus as Lord. I mean, commit yourself to following him, to trusting him, to living his truth. And when you do that, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. You know what I'm saying? When, when you truly put Christ as Lord in your life, your life is going to be so different, you've got to be ready to, get, to answer why your life is different. You know what I'm finding? I'm finding that most of us are never asked why our lives are different. And you know, there's a pretty obvious answer for that. It's because our lives aren't different. We're just floating in the current. Well, the world's believing this now. And the world's valuing this now. Oh, and the world's not believing this now. And the world's not valuing that now. And we're like everybody else. And you know what? It's an easy place to live, isn't it? Everyone loves me. I love everyone. The only problem is we stand for nothing. Because when you stand for something, you have to stand alone. That's what Rahab did, and you have to share it like she did. What, what I find is that genuine faith, not, not religious faith like so many have, but genuine faith that, that truly takes a Rahab and makes her a hero, that takes a me and makes me usable, is a faith that stems from a choice. It's a choice we make. Joshua chapter 6, verse 25, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her whole family and all who belonged to her. She saved a whole community of people because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she kept making the choice to live with them. She lives among the Israelites to this day. She made God her God and God's people her people and God's truth her truth and God's values her values. It was a choice. From our view, it's obviously the right choice. I mean, she did pretty well. Jericho got wiped out, and her life was pretty good. But, but if you look at her choice from our view, you're going to miss the whole point. Because from her view, it wasn't the easy choice, the logical choice. It was the hard choice. She had to go against everything in her world to make this choice. She had to go against everything she had been taught, everything she had believed, everything she had valued, and everything her world celebrated. She had to stand against all of that to make this choice. She had to live for a God who she hadn't seen, didn't yet know, and her world didn't believe in or want. She had to endure being called the fool. But as it turns out, she was only called a fool for a short while, and the reality is the wise ones were the fools, and they were wiped out, and the fool was the wise one, and she went on to be a hero because she had genuine faith. And I just need you to know the same is true for us. Trusting God and, and his truth isn't the easy choice in our world. Trusting God and his truth isn't what our world is celebrating these days, but Trusting God and his truth is the right choice. And, and it's the only choice 
that we won't eternally regret. Do, do you know that Rahab's the one that's rejoicing still yet today for the hard choice she made? Those who mocked her and discounted her, they're living with regret. And we have a choice to make right now. We have to understand that the choice to trust God and follow his truth in spite of which way the winds are blowing will lead to what all of us are longing for. You know what we're longing for? Love and joy and peace and freedom and fulfillment and hope in our lives. But it doesn't come from living how we want to live. It comes from experiencing the God we need to know. It's the only choice that will allow us to wake the world up to Jesus. It's the only choice that will lead to God's well done. And she made it. But to do it, she had to stand alone. It's, it's true that like Rahab, we're all flawed and we're all failures. And I want you to get this. This is so important. I am so tired of certain groups of people pretending that they're not flawed and they're not failures while pointing at the flaws and failures of others. But the truth is, we're all flawed and we're all failures, all of us. That's a weird truth to get a clap on, by the way. I just need to point that out. We're just a bunch of failures. But God wants to do something great in us anyway. God wants to do something great through us. But there's this one failure that can keep us from experiencing what God did in Rahab and what God wants to do in and through us. Just one failure. Not the failure of what we've done or how we've lived or choices we've made. We've all blown that in different ways. But the only failure that can keep us from becoming all that God wants us to become is the failure to acknowledge that we in nature are flawed and that we, by our choices, have failed and that we can't continue to act upon that nature and those failures, but we have to give them to God, let him forgive them, and make us new. That's what the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is about. So that we can experience the death of all we are, so we can experience the life of all he is in us. And that changes everything repentance and faith. And so you know this isn't a story just about some lady that lived thousands of years ago, but this is our story. We thought we would bring the story of a modern-day Rahab to view so that we would know this is our story if we choose it. Watch. Growing up, I just remember my dad just raging. I'd come home and my dad would be really angry, stressed out. And I really took it personal. And I think that I thought to myself that I must be unlovable. High school, noticed that the boys were paying attention to me. And since I wasn't getting any attention from my dad, I gravitated toward any compliment, any pass that was made at me. I met this boy in school. He told me if I slept with him, We'd get married, we'd make a life together, we'd have babies. And I completely took my entire heart 
and gave it to this boy. And when I found out that he was sleeping with several of my best girlfriends, it was such a shock to me. Left high school, heartbroken, moved out of my parents' home. The day after I graduated, I remember waving at my mom when I was 18 and my dad and in the back of the car knowing I'd never come back because I was done. I got out into the beautiful city of Minneapolis, tried to find a way to go to college, but I had to work three jobs to have my own place and buy a car. And I, I found like a new thing inside of me that if I had nice clothes, if I went out to the clubs, I could meet different men that liked me and maybe I could meet a rich guy that would sweep me off my feet and take care of me like a, like a prince would. And I went to Hawaii that very week, took a vacation from my jobs. And the first night that I was on Waikiki Beach, I actually sold myself to some Japanese clients and I became a prostitute. It's kind of like I had this ring that I put on and I couldn't take it off. Once I found out that I could make hundreds if not thousands of dollars selling myself $500 an hour with no attachment, no relationship, $1,000 an hour. Now it was $2,000 an hour. It gave me this immense power. And if you wanted me for the night, that was $10,000. A few months later, I started dancing and one day I was on the stage and this man walks in, puts this couple hundred dollar fan of money at my feet. And I danced just for him. And I let him know that I was actually prostituting my body. I was actually selling myself to make extra ends meet. He looked at me and said, you are so intelligent. I really like you. In fact, I think I'm falling in love with you. And the next five years of my life, I was with a pimp. Every time he hit me and choked me and raped me or put guns to my head, made me do things I never wanted to do, I just did it because I loved him and because out of fear, because I knew if I didn't, that I would not live to see another day. And even though I got away from him, everything you give, you leave. The money, the cars, the houses, all behind because when you leave a pimp, you leave with nothing. I started stacking my money again, but the money wasn't the same. I came down with cancer. And a couple years later, lost all my hair, had chemotherapy, had Hodgkin's lymphoma. I started taking painkillers for my bone pain and my marrow, and I got addicted to painkillers. And that led into cocaine. I'm staying in these seedy motels, and I remember laying there in my bed, looking in the mirror at myself, thinking that God was angry with me. I would get in the shower, and I would scrub my body, and I would think, I'll never, ever be clean. And one night, I just decided that I was just going to get higher than I could than I've ever been before because I just wanted to erase all the pain. I took the hit of that Coke 
And I fell back. I, I went completely blind. It's like the whole room, the light that was on in that room turned dark. And I got really, really scared. And I just instinctively knew, I knew that I was at death's door. I was in this dark, dark cave. And I knew... I knew it was over. And I saw my family. I saw my funeral. And I was in the coffin. And everybody was crying and they were wiping their faces and they were saying, she was just a prostitute. That's when I said, Jesus. I don't know if you're real, but I don't want to die. The ambulance came. And the doctor came up to me and he grabbed my hand. And he said, you are lucky to be alive. You have so much drugs in your system, little lady. You should be dead. God must be with you. And I laid there. And I had this peace come over me that was nothing like I had ever felt in my entire life. And I knew God gave me a second chance. It got better and I started reading my Bible. I recovered and was afraid to go to church. Come on, I'm an ex-prostitute. Do I think if I walk in church, people are going to look at me and really love me? But I walked in that church and people embraced me. I started to stand on Jesus' words that I'm whole, that I'm healed, that I'm pure, that I'm a virgin in Him. And that gives me peace. Redemption. Redeemed. Set free. That's my life. His love. I don't know about you, but I can actually picture in my mind Rahab singing that song. I'm, I'm guilty, ashamed of what I've done. And yet he says, I'm free. How can this be? That's a beautiful picture. The, the question is, can we sing that song? Because the truth is that every single one of us with Rahab has to acknowledge that we're guilty, ashamed of the things we've done, and yet in Jesus we can be free. How can this be? I, I know that a lot of us feel unworthy, like we can't change, and so what we do is we just surrender to being everything we have been before. We think that God can't use us, can't forgive us, that we can never become one of his heroes of the faith, but we're wrong. Think of it this way. If Jesus' great, 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 great grandmother was a prostitute, Jesus, do you really think he can't understand, forgive, accept, and use you? Your past does not disqualify you. 
The only thing that can disqualify you is that you refuse to acknowledge that your nature, what you've done, is sin. And you refuse to turn to him to forgive you and to make you new. Look at John 3.18. It says it right out. He who believes in the Son, I mean, like Rahab did, believing in God, those, those who believe in the Son, they, they have everlasting life. They, they're not condemned, no matter what they've done. But those who don't believe are condemned already because we're all guilty. I, I, I want to urge you to make sure that you're not pointing your finger at others, but that you're realizing you're the one guilty, needs Jesus, and to trust him. So before I wrap up the talk and the service with a biblical thought, I'm going to ask if you'd bow with me in a word of prayer. And I want to encourage those of you in Brighton to bow with me, and those of you in Plymouth, and those of you even watching online, and just contemplate your own life. And I I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite you to take my words in this prayer and make them yours in your heart, not out loud. And if you've never taken this step to do it now, just to say to God, God, I'm like Rahab. Believed a lot of things, been taught a lot of things, done a lot of things, sinned against you. But now I'm turning to you. Believing, Jesus, that you died on the cross to forgive my sin and rose again to give me new life, I'm trusting you, believing in you. In Jesus' name, amen. If, if you are in one of our services there in Brighton or here in Plymouth and you just prayed with me. I, I can't encourage you enough. Please let us know. I, in the program we hand you when you come in is this little connection card, we call it, and it's easy to rip out, but we've put together a letter about next steps that you can take in your relationship with God, and, and the only way we know to get it to you um, is if you let us know that you prayed with me. And so we have boxes at every single exit of all of our gathering spaces, and once you fill this out and check the circle that says you prayed with me, just throw it in there, and we'll do the rest. For those of you watching online, just hit the What Next button on your tablet screen or computer screen, and we'll do the same thing for you. Take the next step. I believe God's working in a lot of people's lives right now, and you need to know that after a couple of things I'm going to yet share and we say goodbye, there'll be a prayer team up front, and you can come, and they'd be glad to pray with you or talk to you or answer questions for you. We'd love to be a part of your life that way. But here's how I want to end the challenge. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Rahab's life was totally changed. Jesus said, bad trees produce bad fruit. Good trees produce good fruit. It changes our lives. And then Paul says, examine yourself or... Are you producing good fruit or bad fruit? And I just really want to encourage you. Stop trusting in the fact that you talk about faith and sing about faith and make sure that your life is demonstrating that you are a person of faith because God has transformed who you are and how you live and how you view the world. Because it's in that, knowing him, being used of him, 
that you will live without regret. Without that, all you become, you'll regret. Unlikely heroes. It's who God uses. It's who we can be. But it takes a choice like Rahab. I hope we'll make it. Make sense? All right. Now, before I let you out of here, because usually when I say make sense or, you know, something like that, everybody goes, time to race to the cars. You know, I get that. Um, I, I just am going to hold you for a couple of extra seconds if I could. And for those of you in Brighton, the same thing in a minute. I'll pass it off to Wayne, the campus pastor up there, and let him close it out. But right now, I just really, I want to share a thought. It's, it's not very often something happens between weekends that, to me, weighs on me so much that I feel compelled I have to share about it. And yet, this week, the Supreme Court decision of the United States regarding same-sex marriage is, is just one of those things that's really weighing heavy on my heart because I think so many responses are being made and so many are, are misunderstood or wrong and those kind of things. And I have to, I have to tell you, everyone wants me to say something. I've had through social media, <laughs> through email, through letters, I mean, phone calls, everyone wants me to say something about it. But everybody wants me to say what they want to hear. And there are people on every side of the spectrum. And I have to tell you that I'm going to say something, but I don't think it's going to make anyone happy. I'm going to stand alone. Yay, Rahab and me. You know, that kind of a deal. Um, before the Supreme Court decision came out this last week, God's call on Northridge Church was for us to wake the world up to Jesus. Northridge Church has been about Jesus plus nothing minus nothing. After the Supreme Court decision this last week, God's call is exactly the same. Political, <clears throat> political elections and judicial decisions don't change God's calling for the church. So we're not going to fall into the trap. Um, we're, we're not going to fall into the trap of being about a political agenda on either side or whatever's going on in this world and getting on the boat and traveling with it. We're, we're going to keep pointing people to Jesus because he's what the world needs. We're, we're going to trust him. We're going to stand on his word and his truth. We're going to wake people up to Jesus. It's, it's what we're always going to be about. It's what we want to be about. And I want to share with you how we're going to do it quickly. All right? We are going to wake the world up to Jesus by loving every single human being on this planet, regardless. <laughs> regardless of who they are, regardless of their view, their values, or what they've done. We're going to love them with the love of Jesus that took him to a cross. We're going to love them because Jesus loved us and we don't deserve it. And then, in that love, we're going to tell them his truth. Not, not the world's truth, not the Supreme Court's truth, because laws pass, don't change God's truth. We're going to tell them his truth about what it takes to know him and live for him in this world like Rahab did. And we're going to then invite everyone to be involved here at Northridge, to be involved in living for him and following him and experiencing him, which is the only thing that will matter forever. And so in the wake of the Supreme Court decision, here's my encouragement to you. 
Let's wake the world up to Jesus. And that's what will make this world a better place. All right. With that, uh, Wayne, you and Northridge Brighton can kind of take off. See you later. Glad that you're worshiping with us and you can close down that service. And I'll be closing down uh, this one here with Plymouth. Uh, for those of you here at Plymouth, uh, I want you to know that we, um, you know, we know that next Saturday is July 4th, and we know that next Sunday is July 5th, which means we know that most of you have no plans whatsoever to shadow this place at all, <laughs> which just makes me ill. No, I'm just kidding. It's like, some of you are going to be on vacation. I get it. You're going to be in North Carolina or Florida or Germany or something like that. That's awesome. I go on vacation. When you're away, go away. I'm not asking you to get a plane ticket back next weekend, okay? I, I, I'm not dumb, but... A lot of you are still going to still be in the area. And you know, we're celebrating next weekend freedom to worship. Not to barbecue. Freedom to worship. So I, I just kind of want to encourage you, if you're in town, take a break. Come, you know, give a nod to God. And, uh, you know, we'll spend some time together and you have a great weekend. And I want you to know how important this is to me. I usually don't do July 4th weekend here at Northridge. I'm doing uh, uh, the talk next weekend on July 4 and 5 here at Plymouth because we're going to finish out the Unlikely series. And, and I, I, I want you to know that we've saved a story for next weekend that I believe is going to blow you away. It's a person here at Northridge Church, and we're talking about Joseph next weekend, unlikely hero, and I think we have a modern-day Joseph story that'll blow you away, and so I hope you'll come and let God speak to you and touch you and that you'll invite people in. Um, and don't forget, uh, starting next weekend, we're going on summer break on Saturday night with the 7 o'clock service. So our 7 o'clock service will be meeting with our 5 o'clock service on Saturday if you have any intention on coming Saturday night, which I know you aren't. It's July 4th. Okay. Uh, but thought I'd better tell you. Finally, we, we are going to uh, have a baptism event today. I sure hope you'll come. If you've not been baptized, go in the lobby and you can sign up to be baptized still yet. And if you're a part of Northridge, you know what we live for? People following Jesus. Come and celebrate people following Jesus this afternoon. It's going to be great. And our worship team did a CD that I think can really help you worship God in your personal life. And you can get that as well here. I'm so thankful you came. I'm so thankful for you. Let's be a church of unlikely heroes. We'll see you next time.